Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 89th episode. So real quick, a little administrative detail here at the beginning of the podcast. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have anything that you'd like me to address next week on the podcast, in the 90th episode, I will be reading some emails and some comments. I've got a few in the hopper, but hey, if you really knock it out of the park... I'd be more than happy to bump somebody else for you. So don't hesitate to reach out, Matthew at castingacross.com. You can leave a comment under a post on the website, or you can uh, chirp me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever makes you happy. I look forward to these. It, it is hard to pick which three or four comments I uh, interact with because there's some good ones. There's things that uh, actually really good ones that I get every once in a while that I don't read because I turn them into entire podcasts or articles. Uh, people ask questions about uh, equipment or species or locations, and those things are great. You know, five years in, it's not that there's a lack of content on fly fishing, but sometimes people bring up things that I haven't thought of or that I covered one little facet of in the past and they've kind of taken it in a new direction. So I appreciate it. I appreciate the feedback. So keep it coming. On to this week. So this week I want to talk about driving and road trips and moving and just getting away. So one of the things I, I hopefully you appreciate about casting across is that I really encourage and celebrate fly fishing at home. I think that that's so cool to try to find the closest place you can fish, to have home waters, to be able to fish right around uh, the corner or even in your backyard. There's a lot of value to that, even if you're not catching enormous fish, even if you're not catching one of the quote-unquote glamour species, but uh, just to be able to get into fish and uh, be able to spend some time outdoors doing what you enjoy close to home is fantastic. But, of course, destination angling is great as well. And I'm not talking about heading to Mongolia or heading to Christmas Island or heading down to Chile or something like that. I'm talking about just driving two hours away or four hours away or taking a little puddle jumper to get just to that fishing spot that you uh, can spend a whole weekend in and uh, that you enjoy. And I think one of the great things about that, it's not just the fish. Now, of course, you know, casting across is the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. So although we talk about catching fish and how to catch fish and the experience of actually catching the fish, 
you know that there's so many other things that go into that, so many peripheral things that add to that experience, that augment it, that make it so exciting, that make it in some ways a little bit different than other kinds of fishing or other outdoor pursuits. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about as far as destination fishing. So this is what jogged this in my mind, and I'll, I'll, hopefully I'm, I'm being clear. This last week, I was in Virginia. That is where uh, I grew up. My junior high and high school and college years were in northern Virginia. It's where I spent a year uh, re relatively recently, and my in-laws and uh, my wife's family are still down there. And so we go back and forth quite frequently. And consequently, my drive from north of Boston to northern Virginia, it's very familiar. Whether I go 84 to 81 or if I go 95, you know, I like to... Uh, roll the dice and think, you know, can I make it through New York City without hitting traffic? And that's a lot of fun, but it's also very expensive. But either way, one of the things that is neat about that drive, and one of the things I enjoy about this drive, is the fact that I have fished along that entire corridor. So I've, I've fished in Massachusetts. I, I've I haven't really fished in Connecticut, but I've fished in Western Mass and some rivers that actually become better trout water in Connecticut. I've fished in New York. I've fished all up and down Pennsylvania. I've fished in Maryland, and I've fished in Virginia. And so as I make that drive, I am constantly being reminded of not just trout that I've caught, not just bass that I've caught, not just other fish that I've caught, but experiences I've had along that route. Sometimes the fishing, sometimes the drives themselves. There's some excellent meals, some excellent uh, conversations that I've had in the car with friends as I've made that same drive over and over again. You probably have those those kind of routes also, whether it be, you know, the, the place that you like to go that's two hours away for fishing or, you know, wherever your in-laws live or visiting your kid at school or just driving along a, a common thoroughfare. There's probably places that you've stopped and fished. And when you fish there, you're not just fishing. Now, you might just fish. You could be one of those hardcore people that packs a lunch, and they drive to the stream, and they eat on the stream, they hop back in the car, and they drive home. But for most of us, one of those enjoyable experiences in fly fishing is getting to know the local flavor of the area, getting to know what's around, what's the best burger joint, what's the best dive bar, what's the best hotel, and what's the hotel that you're probably going to stay in anyway. And then you might even run into the same people over and over again. For me, this was something that I first experienced when I was in high school, and I started driving up to Pennsylvania to fish the South Central Pennsylvania Spring Creeks. I've talked about that a lot. But I started getting to know the people that work at the fly shops, getting to know the people that work at the restaurants, uh, even getting to know the game wardens, only under positive circumstances, of course. But those kind of things add to the enjoyment of the fishing. Now, certainly you could be some kind of purist and say that that isn't fishing. That's just stuff that gets in the way of fishing. And if you're into those things, then you're really not into fly fishing. But I think, and I think the literature and the art bears this out, that that stuff, that periphery around fishing, is just as much a part of fly fishing as the cast and the presentation and setting the hook and releasing the trout. And so these were, were some of the very first things that I latched on to. So for me, that drive through Pennsylvania is filled with opportunities to say, I remember driving down that road to get to that stream. 
I know that I'm driving over this river and I fished in this river upstream 20 miles just over that ridge. I know in that valley is where I parked and I hiked to get into those fish. And then I would say even kind of derivative of that is I haven't fished here, but I know that this is a very, very popular place to fish. Maybe the next time I drive through, I'll take a, a half an hour break and just fish a little bit. So here's my suggestion, my encouragement to you. Try to add that in to your drive. This is for me, for something that I've thought about with Connecticut. I really don't like driving through Connecticut. And I hear there's some beautiful parts of Connecticut. I hear that there's some people that really enjoy fly fishing and doing other things in Connecticut. But for me, Connecticut is just the last place I have to drive through before I get home. And it's usually traffic and Bridgeport and Waterbury and Hartford. And then if I really feel sadistic driving up 95 in all of those cities, um, you know, really difficult places to get off the highway and find a restroom for a toddler um, and then get back on and all of that. But if I fished there, if I knew that area, then perhaps that would increase my enjoyment of my drive. Now, of course, am I saying that you should find a place to fish just so when you're taking eight hour, 10 hour road trips, it's a more pleasant distraction as you drive? No, but there's some value to really getting to know where you live, even if it's two and three and four hours away. And if you fly fish, then this is a great way to do that. Now, some people, maybe this is something that overlaps. This is kind of the middle of the Venn diagram for you. You might be a foodie. There might be a diner drive-in dive kind of place um, where you roll up in your classic car and your frosted tip hair with your thick white frame sunglasses and you really enjoy eating at weird off the beat places and so that's the thing that kind of keeps you going on road trips or that's the thing where there's a little bit of charm to this out of the way place that's three hours away that you have to go travel to for business every once in a while you might be into breweries you might be into antiquing you might be into scenic views i don't know what it is but what those things do is they add to the experience and the sense of place and so if you can somehow dovetail fly fishing into that, that can add a lot also. So where do you go? Where do you drive? Where do your kids go to college where you're constantly driving that, that stretch of highway between your home and their dorm room? And it has just become this monotonous six-hour you know, death march. How can you hop online, grab a guidebook, flip through, and say, you know what? This time I'm going to leave a little earlier. I'm going to pack my waders, pack my rod, throw a handful of flies in there, and fish for just a couple hours and break this up. I know people that have, have incorporated that into their, their drive down to either see their parents or see their kid at school or on a common work route, and that adds to that trip. It, it breaks it up. It adds a little bit of flavor, and you look forward to the drive there, and you might even look forward to the drive back because you've incorporated fly fishing and then all of those fun peripheral things into what you are already having to do. Now, I would say that this is a similar thing with with vacation spots. 
I talked about uh, incorporating your fly fishing into family vacations uh, a few weeks ago. I kind of gave a packing list. I think this is another awesome thing to do. If your family constantly goes to some weird, out-of-the-way spot that, from all outward appearances, isn't near any sort of viable fly fishing opportunities. This is not on some blue ribbon trout stream. It isn't on Montauk where there's big stripers running. You are not on a bass lake. That doesn't mean that there's not fish within 15 or 20 minutes. Do your homework. Do your research. And what that does is now that that adds a, a third dimension to your vacation. It's not just going and hanging out. It's going and hanging out, but then maybe you get a morning to yourself. Maybe you get a day. And if this is the place where your family goes or your in-laws go or somebody goes every third week in August every year, you now know, hey, I'm going to find a way to get some river time every week that we go on this vacation. And then you maybe get to know the people at the fly shop and you find a different restaurant that you've never found before. And what that does is it totally enriches your experience. All right. So maybe you think this is all much do about nothing. Maybe you think this is a little bit crazy and it's diving into the minutia. But for me, and I know for a lot of you, because of having conversations uh, digitally or in person when, whenever uh, a fly fishing show or something like that when I talk to people, this is one of the things that I emphasize not because I'm a genius or because I've tapped into something uh, hitherto unknown, but because this is something that matters to us as people and as fly fishers. We enjoy the places that we fish. There's more to them than just putting a flopping little critter in a net. And I'll also say, kind of just to add to this, this is an important part of relocating. If you've moved and you might not be happy about this move, you know, it's not just angsty teenagers that get upset when you move. You might relocate for work because this is the right thing for your career or for your family, but you really loved where you used to be. And you might have really loved the angling opportunities that were right around the corner. But wherever you are now, it's not as clear, not as apparent. And to be totally honest, that is how I felt in New England for years which is crazy because I am 10 miles of the crow flies from some phenomenal striper fishing and I have brook trout all over the place and there's warm water fish uh, that really rival a lot of the opportunities that I had when I was living in uh, Virginia that are right around the corner. It just took some investigating. These aren't the blue ribbon streams but at the same time the striper fishery is a premier striper fishery it just took me looking outside of the box and then as i found those places all the other stuff kind of came with it the relationships the restaurants the scenic drives and the appreciation of place it really adds uh, another level of excitement and enjoyment to where you are where you live matters what you do where you live matters and even if it's not the kind of place that you thought that you would be, then a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, a little bit of effort, looking around you, figuring out how you can enjoy where you are is a wonderful way to get a lot more out of every day and out of some of those special days. So this week on Casting Across, the first article is called Trout Quixote 7. So I caught the fish. I talked about this last week on the podcast. I caught that fish. So talk about sense of place. 
this little tiny rainbow trout and you can see a picture of it it's got par marks which mean that it's just a little baby guy but this little trout was a culmination of literally decades of thinking about and planning and uh, trying to get onto this particular bit of water did i always try 100% and go hard no i didn't try really for uh, you know 15 years but when I finally said, this is how I'm going to make this work and do it legally, uh, it took a few tries, but I finally got this fish. And so this is actually the eighth article in a series about this idea of trying to find a trout as close to home as possible. So I don't live in Northern Virginia anymore, but it was home. And so now I'm, I have this really, really tight radius around uh, where I lived in Virginia where I was able to get into wild trout. And that's another important thing, wild trout, not just trout. Everybody can catch a trout out of a... Uh, tub at a sportsman show but uh, wild trout that's where that's where it's at my Wednesday post is called rusty flybox kids and fly fishing so again these rusty flybox posts they they're certainly not a cop-out but they are a little bit easier for me especially if I've been on the road uh, all day the the previous day but it is a uh, anthology uh, three posts from the past and all of them are all about kids and fly fishing so one is called how young is too young to fly cast this is i think a really helpful article it talks about five ways to think about teaching the child in your life how to cast a fly rod which really this is an article that you could say five ways to teach a person how to cast a fly rod especially a grown man and now i'm i am all for teaching everybody how to cast a fly rod but sometimes men we feel like we know how to do it and we just give it to us and we'll flail it around and we'll make it happen uh women for whatever reason are a little bit more patient a little bit more intentional in doing something like casting a fly rod so kids and men have a lot in common when it comes to teaching fly casting and i can say that as being a man and i can say that as teaching men and kids how to fly fish so how young is too young to fly cast there's some good tidbits of information in there the next post within rusty Flybox kids and fly fishing is called five reasons why your kid needs his slash her own fly box uh, my boys had fly boxes before either of them cast a rod or land a trout what i did is i bought a cheap box one of them it's a plastic box from ll bean there was a foam box from cabela's and i put a few random flies in i mean we're talking chernobyl ants mickey fins uh here's your nymphs and squirmy wormies and then every time we go to a fly shop together every time we went to a cabela's or a bass pro we went to the fly fishing show they would each get you know 10 bucks and they could pick out a few flies they learn very quickly you only get one bass fly if you have ten dollars um, so they would pick out just the weirdest random most random stuff but of course if these kids are primarily fishing for bluegill weird and most random is right on the money so it's a lot of fun for them to pick out these ugly flies ugly as sin and they can catch fish on them there's a lot of joy in that and of course then you talk okay well the big buggy one that you know was too big for their mouths didn't work let's find something smaller but all that to say uh, five principles for why you should get you, the kid in your life. This could be a, a, a child, your own child. It could be a niece or nephew. It could be a grandkid. It could be a neighbor kid. Get them a fly box, and uh, they'll they'll spend so much time looking at them. I can't tell you how much time my kids spend looking at their fly boxes. The third and final post in the Rusty Fly Box Kids and Fly Fishing is one of my favorite posts ever. It's a very quick read. I'm quasi tempted to uh, to read it out loud, but I think it, it is read. 
uh, personally better than being read out loud, and it's called 100 Fishing Questions. 100 Fishing Questions. They're all four or five words long, and they are incredibly real. These are questions that my boys have asked me, probably on one trip, and I would have to cut it down. I could probably do a 500 fishing questions article or a 1,000 fishing questions article, but 100 fishing questions. If you want to smile, and I don't often toot my own horn when it comes to my writing, if you want to smile, read 100 fishing questions. It is a lot of fun, and if you have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or neighbor kids that you fish with, then this will be something that you absolutely identify with. 100 fishing questions. Check it out. And that is, of course, found by just searching it on castingacross.com, or if you go to Rusty Flybox, Kids and Fly Fishing will will be the second post below the uh, post corresponding to this podcast on castingacross.com. You'll find uh, 100 fishing questions. This week's recommendation on the podcast is actually three different bug sprays. So I don't like mosquitoes. I've had some really bad mosquito days. I was fishing on the Batten Kill in Vermont one night, and I couldn't tie a fly on. The bugs were so oppressive. I couldn't cast. The bugs were so oppressive. I had on long sleeves, and I had a collar rolled up, and I had long pants, and a hat that I pulled down as far as I could, and I couldn't do anything. It was the worst it was the absolute worst, and uh, that's not the kind of river that you just uh, flail around in. You, you need to make your presentations, and so it was just pointless. So back into the B&B I went, and I held off for the next morning. Um, but mosquitoes are bad. Ticks are even worse. Um, certainly, you can get some really bad diseases from mosquitoes, but uh, ticks are, are no bueno. As I've said before, I've not had COVID-19, but I have had uh, Lyme disease, and I do not want that. Um, not again. Uh, no way. So uh, I use bug spray, but I also use bug spray that isn't going to hurt me, my kids, or my stuff. Probably not in that order. My kids, me, or my stuff. Uh, I think you know that DEET uh, breaks down uh, plastics, so whether it be fly line or waders or tent flaps, things like that. Uh, too much DEET will eat through that, and it will um, start by making it water not waterproof, and then it will move on to it actually breaking down and just dissolving. Um, so I've found some that I think work really well. My favorite, uh, I can't actually find it. it. One of the main uh, companies made it. It was either Off or Cutter or uh, one of those companies, but it was called Gear Safe, and I can't find it. Um, but I really liked it, and I think permethrin was the active ingredient in that, and it worked really well. But what I use primarily these days is Repel's plant-based lemon eucalyptus insect repellent, which is DEET-free, and so it's essential oils, which, you know, I don't think they cure anything and everything, but I do know that bugs don't like them. Now this stuff, the lemon eucalyptus, I will put on my shoes and I'll put on my hat and that is it. If I'm just kind of hiking, if I'm going in deep woods, I will apply it to, um, you know, my, my pants and to my shirt. But this stuff, I don't know if it's my body chemistry, my kid's body chemistry, but there's been days where it's been us and other people in the woods and none of us have come out with ticks and bug bites and other people have. And we use this stuff, and we, we don't use the, the heavy-duty DEET. So it could be coincidental, but I think this stuff works really well. It's got quite an odor, but it's not unpleasant, and it's much less 
unpleasant than getting bit by a bunch of bugs or coming home with a little tick in some place that you can't see. So that's called Repel Lemon Eucalyptus. That's really easy to get. It's like less than five bucks to target all over the place. The other stuff that I've used in the past that I actually really like is EcoSmart. And there's EcoSmart, it's just called Insect Repellent. Now they make a whole line of different things. And that's actually the treatment that I've used in my yard before uh, for, uh, for ticks and stuff like that. But um, this stuff is also... Primarily made out of oils like rosemary and cinnamon and lemongrass and wintergreen. And that's actually the smell you get uh, the most is wintergreen. And so it is certainly not unpleasant and it does a good job as well. But uh, the Repel is the easiest stuff to come across. So I would suggest checking one of those out if you're looking for an alternative. And again, if you have nice fly line, which I really encourage you to get nice fly line, do not use DEET on your hands and then let your hands be all over your fly line. It is going to take that good fly line and make it bad fly line. But if you want a new fly line every season, then by all means, cover your hands in DEET. But I don't think it's that good for you, so don't do it. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.